Poso, and welcome to the third episode of the Menominee Food Sovereignty Podcast. My name is Jess, and I'm an AmeriCorps member at the College of Menominee Nation in Kashina, Wisconsin. In this podcast, I interview people who are doing the essential work of restoring food sovereignty to the Menominee Nation. Food sovereignty is the right of people to have access to fresh, healthy, culturally appropriate foods, and to have a say in how their food is produced and where it comes from. But as you'll hear throughout this podcast, everyone's definition is a little different. The Menominee people have lived in what is now known as Wisconsin for thousands of years, and they trace their origin to the mouth of the Menominee River, which now forms most of the border between Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. The Menominee Nation had food sovereignty before colonization, and now the community is envisioning what it will look like in the future. I hope that these interviews will inform and inspire you. In the last episode, we talked about ancient Menominee agroforestry with Dr. Overstreet. Today I want to talk about how those ancient methods of producing food and caring for the land are being revived by an organization called Many Konakim. The name loosely translates to community rebuilders in the Menominee language, and it's a nonprofit organization located on 80 acres of land on the Menominee Reservation. I interviewed Cherie Thunder, the Food Sovereignty Director at Many Konakim. I've known Cherie for a while now, and she taught me how to make the first and so far only Menominee dish that I've ever made, which is wild rice with berries and maple syrup. Her dedication to her work and passion for change are inspirational. All right, I'll let her introduce herself. Hoso Nuiswan Cherie Thunder. I am a community organizer with Mini Konakim. Um, and I'm one of the lead, or I am the lead organizer with our Food Sovereignty Initiative as well. I am Menominee and Potawatomi, and I'm also Irish, German, and Swedish on my mother's side. Um, I grew up on the Menominee Reservation. So how did you become involved, or how did you become interested in food sovereignty? Um, so I think it, it started when I was going to school at CMN at the College of Menominee Nation, and I was taking a, a sustainable development class, which was taught by Dr. Bilvan Lopek. And I just really loved the way he, he taught, the way he talked about things within the sustainable development field. And it just opened my mind to the whole idea and concepts of sustainability and just different practices and ways of doing things. It started from there, but then I graduated from CMN and went down to um, UW-Madison. So I started in the community and environmental sociology degree, and I got the opportunity to work with a project called POSO. Um, So they partnered with the College of Menominee Nation, and their focus was science and sustainability and education. It was kind of like STEAM, um, but it was before that acronym came around. It was just STEM back then. But yeah, it was all around education and science and different ways of learning. And it was focused and aimed at um, tribal students, really focusing on what they needed in order to learn within these science fields. So food and um, sustainability came into play in all of those throughout the whole project, but it was really a focus in the second part of the project, which is where I had more of a relationship, I guess, with how the the project came about. The food really came into play in the eighth grade level, so there was a lot of focus on 
food and the histories within Menominee and then Oneida tribes. Um, so I really got to learn more about that within, yeah, just within that project. And there was a lot of community members from Menominee Oneida that were really involved and really had a voice in what went into um, that curriculum. It was really good to just be involved and hear from them and learn from them. That's where I guess more of my interests, yeah, just came out. <laughs> and like after that, I worked. I worked at CMN. I worked with a group of high school students, and they really had like free range about or with the projects that they worked on. Um, it was a summer program, so they were with us for three months. They worked on different projects relating to sustainability and science, and then. At the end of summer, they presented their project, which included a video. I feel like we had at least one or two groups who focused their projects around somewhere in the realm of like food and food sovereignty. That also played a part in <laughs> my interest, um, just seeing, seeing how our youth were engaged and responded to just anything to do with food and <laughs> um, sustainability and like bringing back that way of life and way of doing things within our tribe um, and yeah within their own families so when they got involved and they were engaged and they were learning more about food then their families saw that and they realized that this is important and so they kind of like so they supported them in that and just helped them learn we had one student who was really wanting to do like fresh smoothies and like juicing and stuff. That was one of the um, projects that they did and they started sharing with their family and like they told us and they came back. They like showed pictures and um, shared what their family was saying. And it was just really nice to see that, see that kind of impact that it had on the kids. So that's a really, it's a really long answer, but so don't use all of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. So you work with youth at Mini Konakim as well. Would you say that that's something you're really passionate about? Working with youth? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I've just always, I've always been passionate about that. Since I was in high school, I've always seen myself in the future, like working with youth in some way, like being an advocate. Um, but I never really knew where that would go or how it would play out but speaking of yeah. that going a little farther back so you said you got interested in food sovereignty work when you took a class at cmn what were you studying before that or like were you planning to get a degree in something else and then kind of changed your mind or what happened i didn't really know what i wanted to study uh -huh. when i first went to college i went to northern michigan university i was only there for a semester uh -huh. and i wasn't too sure what I wanted to major in, but I took a lot of different different classes. Um, so I came back, um, I think, you know, just because I was up there alone. It was my first semester out of high school. Um, I was young, and, you know, I was lonely, I think. Yeah, I came back and then I enrolled in CMN the next semester. What is Mini Konakim and how did you get involved in it? Mini Konakim is a 
grassroots, um, nominee-led organization. It is a nonprofit, it's 501c3. It's a place that um, we hope to create a space of hope, belonging, meaning, and purpose for our community members and um, surrounding communities. We're really, we really want it to be a place where, you know, there's a lot of people who, like me, go to school off of the reservation. Like maybe they might go to Shawano High School or go to college far away. Um, but a lot of times when people come back and try to like engage with their community and just try to work up here or just do good things within our community, there's not a whole lot of support community can sometimes I don't know see it as like you know that person was gone for so long they were like in school or um but there's not a lot of support and love when those people come back so we really wanted it to be a place for those people who need that extra support so but it's also about rebuilding our community so there's a lot of dreams and a lot of good visions that people have within our community, but they need a lot of support, maybe just a little push or just like someone backing their idea with them um, and willing to push that forward. So that's what we want to be. We want to be that support for people who have these big dreams and big ideas and want to put them forward within the community, um, for the community. So that's that's who we are. <laughs> um, we focus a lot on our women's leadership cohort, um, and they do a lot of MMIW work. Um, that's really huge right now, um, and it's going to expand in the future. MMIW stands for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. You may have heard that Indigenous women are more likely to be murdered than women in any other racial group. In fact, in some counties, their murder rate is 10 times higher than the national average, according to a report by the National Congress of American Indians. Also in that report, more than half of Indigenous women have experienced sexual violence, and in the vast majority of cases, that violence is committed by a non-Indigenous perpetrator. Recently, these facts have reached a broader audience because of the work of Indigenous women, like those in many Kanakim, who are speaking out. All right, back to Sheree. Yeah, we do work in environmental justice, um, sustainability, social justice, but we try to, yeah, we try to keep culture biggest part of our organization and within each initiative that we push forward. So you said, how did I get involved? Mm -hmm. I started getting involved with our No Back 40 Mine initiative or project that we have um, like in 2016, and that's when I was still working at CMN. The Back 40 Mine is a proposed gold and zinc mine on the border of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan. According to the mine's website, they are currently in the pre-construction phase, so no actual mining has started yet. The proposed mine would be built only 150 feet from the Menominee River, which is sacred to the Menominee people. The mouth of the river is the site of their creation story, and there are many sacred sites and burial mounds located along the river, including near where the mine is proposed. The mine could also harm sturgeon, which are traditionally an important food source for the Menominee. You can find out more at noback40.org. So after, after joining their meetings and being involved in that work with the Novak 40 mine. That's when Minikana Kim was really starting to 
do the work that they were wanting to um, and they they had a lot of people going to their meetings um, from the reservation and then surrounding communities so our executive director he he was kind of pulling people in from different areas and he basically told us at the back 40 meeting like you're already involved in this you might as well come over to mini conicum and see what we're doing and so yeah that's yeah that's how i got involved <laughs> um i went to a meeting and just kind of sat and listened and saw everything that they were doing within the community and um yeah i really really liked it and kind of felt like i found my group of people <laughs> Yeah, and during that meeting, I think there were there were a couple other people who were new too, but actually what they what they do um, when they have new members, people that are committed or um, they they offer them tobacco. So that night I was offered tobacco, and so it kind of made like a an agreement, I guess. <laughs> so like the tobacco, accepting the tobacco meant that I was committed to this work and the group. So the other thing I wanted to ask was what is a season like in the garden usually? So pre-COVID, I know you told me a little bit in the spring about how normally you would have a bunch of people there helping to plant and everything. And then this year it was kind of whittled down to a few volunteers. So yeah, generally we have a lot of people um, who are ready and wanting to get their hands in the dirt and plant some seeds right away. And like, you know, as soon as we can in the spring and summer, um, and we do have like a planting ceremony, um, some elders come in and lead that for us um, we would have a feast and then yeah we usually have a lot of people involved so we have our volunteers some community um people from the college so that's right away at the planting the first planting um but throughout the summer it's pretty inconsistent i would say so i mean it's not it's not that different from COVID times <laughs> as we go into actual um, growing and like harvesting season. During harvest season is kind of where we have another little jump in activity from volunteers um, because that's a really, a really cool time. It's awesome to see what we grew and all of that. Um, and people want to take part in that. The growing and Taking care of it is where we usually run into trouble. We have a little bit of people that come and volunteer, but it's usually the same people and not that often, not as often as we need it, um, especially because there's only a few of us who actually are paid to be there and you know are there all the time. But but this year well, we had a youth garden, um, and those youth were pretty pretty active and involved even throughout the summer. It started out just because our youth have been around for like these three years that, or I guess it would be two years before this past, but they've been around and seeing us garden and seeing the community involved in that type of stuff. Um, so one of the youth 
they wanted to um, have fresh food available for one of the roundhouses. I don't know if you got to experience those, but mm. the roundhouse is like an indoor powwow during the winter. Um, I don't want to just say powwow because that's not what it is. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be called powwow. But um, sometimes they have like ceremonial dances or um, things like that for the community to be involved and keep them, you know, like have meeting spaces for them during the winter time um, when we can't be outside. But it always involves dancing and singing and drumming. Um, so they wanted to have fresh food available for that because we have um, a stand there where we do information and um, the youth cohort was there last year a couple of times sharing information about their group and they were asked to bring some food for the feast so they wanted to do that they brought some strawberries chocolate covered strawberries so then they were like oh well we should just grow our own strawberries and then we can just bring them every year <laughs> so that's where the um youth garden started out of so they were inspired by you know the work that Mini Kanakim is already doing with their gardens and they wanted to be able to provide the community with more fresh foods at feasts and different things, different events that they have going on. Now they want to expand into a larger space, which we'll see, see how that works out this year. <laughs> um, but yeah, they just want to take on more and they're taking ownership of it. So it's really, it's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, that's really awesome that they're taking the initiative for it and coming up with those ideas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have a youth leadership cohort as well. We're trying to get them more into some organizing training, but also have a space for them so they can just learn about different things that might interest them. We're trying to get them to dream as well and see that mm -hmm. there's opportunity for dreaming. We don't want want them to think that they're just confined to the reservation and maybe just like one path in life like there's a lot of different things that they are able to do yeah i guess you could see that i'm really passionate about youth <laughs> <laughs> but um we are currently working on getting our seasonal high tunnel built yeah from there we're gonna be um trying to get committed and engaged community members to kind of rethink, um, review what we've done in the past, um, just for like our garden area um, and our growing, just trying to get a good plan in place for this next growing season. Um, we're only growing on like an acre, maybe like an acre and a half right now. But this next year, we're looking to expand that. But we're also going to be looking into chickens, working on some business plans <laughs> um, for kind of expanding our our food sovereignty work. We'll be needing um, a business plan for our chickens um, because we want to we want to start working with the um, local stores. Well, there's only one grocery store on the reservation right now, but and possibly some of the schools if that's an option um we want to 
just see how we can start selling eggs and possibly um, chicken as well <laughs> um, to those local schools and stores. So I want to be able to have a business plan for that so we know where we're going and what to expect and what we need to do. With only one grocery store, the Menominee Reservation qualifies as a food desert. Food deserts are defined by the U.S. Department of Agriculture as areas where people have limited access to a variety of healthy and affordable foods. For example, if a person lives in an area where there are no supermarkets or grocery stores within a 10-mile radius, they're much more likely to get their food from convenience stores, which don't carry as much fresh food. A study published by the National Center for Biotechnology Information found that 2.3 million Americans live more than a mile away from a supermarket and don't own a car. That makes accessing healthy food pretty difficult. Food deserts are usually located in impoverished areas, and according to the First Nations Development Institute, most Indian reservations can be classified as food deserts. I want to note that food desert isn't a term that's accepted by everyone. Using desert to describe an area with low food access doesn't really make sense for tribes located in the southwest who have lived in the desert for generations. However, as of now, it's the most commonly used term to describe areas of low food access. So you just applied for the GATHER grant, GATHER Food Sovereignty grant from First Nations Development Institute, right? Could you talk a little bit about that program? Yeah, so <clears throat> with the proposal that we sent in for the GATHER grant, um, we're working in collaboration with the Menominee Department of Ag and Food Systems, the Woodland Boys and Girls Club, and the tribe. Um, <laughs> and we're going to be recruiting a group of mentors and then also a group of youth and families um, to be involved in a gardening mentorship program. So each of the families will have the opportunity to work with these mentor teams and have workshops and like one-on-one -on -one meetings with their mentor teams mm -hmm. as they're um, growing their garden, either at their own house or at one of the community sites that we have set up. And we have a site, or we're working on getting sites set up in each of the communities on the reservation. And we want to recruit from, for the mentor teams and the youth and families throughout all of the five communities as well. Um, just so we, you know, make sure that everyone has the opportunity to, to be involved. And it's not only, well, we want to make it not only focus on gardening, but also um, harvesting and gathering from the forest and, um, you know, wild rice and maple syrup and all of that, or maple sap, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so we don't only want to focus on gardening. Um, the seasonal activities for sure are going to be part of that. So throughout the growing season and before we start growing, we'll have educational workshops that are focused on traditional gardening techniques um, and also harvesting and gathering as well. Can you talk about how traditional gardening techniques are different from modern techniques? Yeah, um, so from what I've seen and been, been introduced to um, since I've started working more with food sovereignty and stuff, um, the because the indigenous or Menominee techniques um, are 
they're more connected to the land and to what's already there really just see what's there what works um with the plants that we're trying to go grow and then what doesn't work yeah it's more more natural organic um no chemicals that are gonna one day you know ruin the soil <laughs> do you use compost or fish emulsion um we use compost we haven't tried fish emulsion yet but we do want to we've tried biochar and we actually had biochar workshops at the farm before we're going to be using those techniques for the the gather grant just to show the community different ways i mean there's been workshops on those things before held by CMN, SDI. SDI, by the way, stands for Sustainable Development Institute, which is part of the College of Menominee Nation. The more we have those workshops available to people, the more it gives them the opportunity to come and learn. So. And biochar is burning logs and then spreading the ash on the garden. Is that right? Yeah. Um, well, logs, um, sticks, brush, and then we're also going to start working on a um, grazing plan for the land. Um, we got a grant through NRCS to hire someone to help write that plan. So what we need to do is find someone who has experience writing those grazing plans. And um, then I want to work with people in our area who know the area, know the forest and what the land is like, um, who have worked with plants, know the indigenous plants that are specific to Menominee and the area, of course, and who possibly have experience with either buffalo or other animals that we may have on the farm in the future. So has anyone had buffalo on the reservation before? <sighs> I don't think so. There's... People that have buffalo that are like right near, really close to the reservation. Um, so there's someone like up by Surring and there's people by Gresham, like a mile or two down the road from Miniconican. So what's the benefit of having buffalo? Um, well, it's, a, it's like one of the leanest meats there are and it's healthy um, <laughs> and it's you know, Native peoples and buffalo is just kind of this <laughs> connection, natural connection type thing. Yeah, for us, we see it as a really healing thing, really healing experience just to um, be around the buffalo, but then also, you know, caring for them and just having them on the land with us. <laughs> it's really, yeah, really healing. And so we want to be able to provide our community with good, healthy, nutritious foods. Um, you know, there's enough people that are raising cattle and <laughs> all of that. Um, so of course we wanna do something different, but we also, yeah, just wanna be able to provide our people with fresh local indigenous foods. That's such a cool project. Mm -hmm. It'll be awesome to have buffalo grazing out there. Yeah. <laughs> We are also doing a virtual community feast. So 
We usually have a seasonal feast every fall, winter, summer, and spring, but we, because of COVID, we've had to um, stop those. We stopped them completely, um, but this fall, we we just miss people. <laughs> um, missed having those community feasts and sharing sharing recipes with people, uh, just talking about food and um, so we we started the virtual feast. Um, I think the first one was in October and we decided we wanted to put together some care packages for people um, that included some some indigenous foods, local foods. We also were able to include some PPE and some COVID info. And then it was around, it was before voting time. So we included um, some voter information in there as well. Um, but yeah, so whoever registered for the feast was able to get one of those care packages and so some people pick them up from Mini Konakim, but I delivered the other ones to people. So yeah, we are gonna be we are gonna be doing that. We're trying to continue it once a month. We're keeping the um, care packages. We're gonna be changing up a little bit um, the items that we include. Do you have a favorite Menominee dish? Um, well, my favorite food is wild rice. You know, we have like wild rice casserole. People make it different, but there's, um, you know, you could use like cream mushroom soup and then you could use venison or buffalo or just ground beef. Um, mix it all together and it's really good. Um, I mean, it's not the healthiest thing. <laughs> A more healthier option would be <laughs> um, to do um, wild rice and berries so that's mm -hmm. the wild rice and whatever berries you want to mix in and then maple syrup if you want to add that too yeah I guess those would be my favorite dishes um, I mean I like using the squash that we grow too sometimes I would mix that in and then have wild rice um, and some buffalo meat in there that sounds delicious yeah it is <laughs> Then the last question I'm planning to ask everyone that I interview this, which is what does food sovereignty mean to you or what does it look like to you? Food sovereignty to me is having the ability or the right to choose what you put into your body um, and where, where that comes from, where that food comes from, whether it is like grown in your own backyard or from another farmer, gardener, from the farmer's market. But also, I mean, if you choose to buy that food from a grocery store, um, yeah, food sovereignty is just having that ability to choose for yourself and not, not people deciding what you eat <laughs> or what is what those ingredients are to make that food and just having the right to define that for yourself thank you for listening to the menominee food sovereignty podcast and thank you to sheree for sharing your stories and knowledge 
You can donate to Many Konakim by going to menominiebuilders.org, and I'll put the link in the description of this episode. There you'll find a donate button on the top right, or you can click on initiatives to read more about the projects they have going on and donate to those projects specifically. The theme music you're hearing right now is One Little Step at a Time from the album Journey of the Heart by Wade Fernandez. You can download his music online and listen to it right away at wadefernandez.com, or you can buy a CD. Wade is a Menominee musician, and currently he has a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for a new double CD, and you can find the link to that on his website if you'd like to donate.